Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of December 26th, 2019. I am your host, Sean Higgins, alongside Ski Racing's Mackenzie Moran. And if you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, we kindly ask that you please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get tips and tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment to say we hope everyone listening had a fantastic holiday break. We certainly hope you were able to spend it with family and friends. All right, on today's show, Mackenzie and I will be breaking down the recent World Cup action or... I mean, I guess lack of World Cup action in some cases in uh, Val d'Isere, Val Gardena, and Altabadia, as well as taking a brief look ahead to this weekend's racing with the women in Lienz this week and the men in Bormio. We'll also be getting everyone updated on some of the controversies surrounding the racing in Altabadia and a few notable injuries that occurred over the weekend as well. After our discussion, Doug Lewis is back on the show once again to talk with me about Bormio. Doug made a name for himself in Bormio back at the 1985 World Championships, winning bronze in the downhill, and he brings a really interesting first-hand perspective to the venue ahead of racing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Stick around. You won't want to miss it. All right, Max, let's dive right into it. There's not much to say about the women's series in Val d'Isere. Nothing really happened. There was a lot of snow. We got one training runoff, which was kind of warm and gross, if I'm being totally honest. And then, unfortunately, the weather really kind of took a turn for the worse, and we lost all the race days. But uh, kind of the real story of the week were the men's races in Val Gardena and Altabadia, also affected by weather. But uh, I actually caught a little bit of the Super G in between everything that was going on in uh, Val d'Isere, but I actually totally missed the GS and parallel GS and Elsa because I was either in a car or on an airplane. So let's start with the Super G. Walk me through that day. It looked interesting. I'll, I'll leave it at that and I'll let you take it away. It was, <laughs> it was definitely interesting. Um, it was a really, really long race to watch and I'm sure for the athletes it was even longer to have to participate in rather than doing you know calling it for a half hour or whatever the fists kept pushing it back by 10 minute intervals um and that kind of went on for a couple hours so you would say say like okay we're gonna be starting in 10 or they're gonna make the call in 10 and it would get pushed back repeatedly because fog would keep coming in and I didn't really know what was going on the ground there because I was watching from home but I was assuming that they saw that the weather was supposed to clear up and they were just waiting for it to happen and the first 20 guys got to run before the rest of the field did and then there was that big break right in the middle of the race so for a majority of the men that went down they were just kind of sitting around hanging out in the finish waiting to see if the race would continue to happen, if their times would hold, what, you know, it was just kind of a mess. Um, and there ended up being a lot of guys that skied from the back that did super well, even after the delay, despite all the time waiting around in the starting shack. And so 
that made it exciting and it made it worth sticking around. But otherwise, I can't imagine what it was like to actually physically be there and have to wait out that fog repeatedly. Yeah. And I think we saw Vincent Kriegmeier come away with the win um, just five hundreds ahead of Shuttle Janzer. The Norwegians have so much history in Valgardena. So I'm no Kriegmeier was uh, definitely very happy to, to get his first win of the season. You could see it on his face. One, when he finished, and two, kind of as the times were coming down and it was clear that he uh, was likely going to be uh, walking away with the win. What were some other standout performances to you? Aside from Kriegmeier's win, um, which was big for him because that was his first win this season, actually momentarily put him on top of the overall standings until Christofferson took it back later in the weekend. But that's beside the point. Um, I was really excited to see, um, Nyman's run because he hung in there and looked like he was going to break into the top five after we waited in this really long delay and ended up not being, losing it pretty bad in one spot. But a majority of the guys that came down after the first 15 would continue to lose time throughout the court and the course. And he was one of the only ones that was able to hang on to it or regain some speed in certain sections. So I think that he was pretty psyched on that performance based on what the conditions were like and how long they had to wait. And I was also super excited for um, Thomas Dressen who, as we talked about before on the podcast, had been coming back from a pretty terrible injury and he had a good showing in Lake Louise, but didn't really follow up in Beaver Creek. And he was able to come back and put down a really solid finish in Val Gardenia, one of the more difficult speed courses on the men's circuit, despite the fact that it did start at the reserve start. And I thought his performance was impressive. Another American who did extremely well and kind of surprised me a bit was Sam Duprat. Um, He was the only other American to finish in the top 30 aside from Steven Nyman. And he has had, a, you know, I think like eight or 10, somewhere around there, World Cup starts, but has never finished as well as he did in Val Gardenia. And actually, um, he was talking to the press after the race and said, that before his run, he'd had his boots off eating an apple strudel and drinking a cappuccino about 10 minutes before he had to actually get in the starting gate, which I thought was pretty hilarious because um, he didn't seem phased at all by his run. He was charging super hard given his starting position, and it was pretty sweet to see a younger guy come out and take on one of those more notoriously bumping, grindy courses in really crappy conditions where you could hardly see a thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think apart from the weather delays, this, the story of the day was really a lot of those attack from the back performances. You mentioned Nyman uh, starting 29 and popping into 13. And then after him, we had Gino Cavietzel, 42 to 14. Canada's James Crawford, 41 to 17. Felix Monson of Sweden, 44 to 18. And then right after him, 36 to 19, was Stefan Rogentin from Switzerland, Stefan Babinski from Austria, 35 to 20, and then you had Sam, 37 to 22. And even behind him, Stian Saugested, another Norwegian guy, 48 to 25. So even though it was a day marred by those weather delays, it was 
definitely a race where some of those younger guys, some of those less experienced guys could really throw down and, and walk away with an amazing result. Yeah, exactly. And it was a bummer that they had to cut off, you know, the last 16 racers. Um, I've been really excited to see Brody Seeger from Canada, who's been another one of those guys that's been punching it in from the back, and he didn't get to start. But, you know, that's the name of the game. Sometimes they just got to put the race on until they get enough guys that go on, go down, and they can call it a day. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the sport. We sign up for it. We don't always like it, but sometimes the race gets called before you get to go. Yep. Awesome. So moving on, the next day's downhill was called very early in the day. Almost right after jury inspection, they realized they weren't going to be able to go. Um, But fortunately, that race will be made up uh, tomorrow, actually, in Bormio. So two downhill races in Bormio this this year. And then moving on to Alcibadea, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I completely missed... And I'm out of the loop on what happened in Altabadia because I was traveling both of those days. But it looked like a rodeo in that giant slalom, Mac. Yeah, a rodeo is definitely an understatement. I even rewatched some of that race because it was shocking to me how just bumpy and grindy all of these turns were. I mean, like Ryan Cochran Siegel said after the race, like nobody felt good in Altabadia that day. The course had unexpected soft spots, a lot of chewed up snow, and really the guy who was going to come out on top and win it was somebody who could fight through and maintain their composure despite all of the crap and not necessarily worry about making a pretty GS turn or having it look as good as it feels. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to me, looking at some of the highlights, it looked another like a a warm day, a warm, wet day, which is kind of uncharacteristic for that time of the year, especially in the Dolomites. But as you said, Christofferson really kind of showed his grit and showed his mettle to come away with the win that day. But even with his win, he had some really harsh words after the race. I think he he said this isn't a club race it's a world cup I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit but kind of some harsh words for fists on uh deciding to even go that day and those were really kind of echoed by some of his competitors yeah i mean and you weren't paraphrasing at all that's exactly what he said in his post-race interview he said you know it's not a club race it's a world cup race and he expressed a lot of sentiments about whether or not they should have spent more time trying to compare um prepare the course for that weekend And he said in his interview, he's like, look, I don't blame the organizing committee. They're doing what Fiss is telling them. And he also said he doesn't blame Marcus Waldner because he knows that he's traveling to multiple men's stops on the tour. And last weekend was a weather disaster across the board. And he may not necessarily have time to get in there two or three days ahead of time to really get it fixed. But then he followed that up by saying, you know, it is – a world cup race, not a club race and keeping courses clean and keeping preventing athletes from getting injured is just as important. If you want to put on a good show for the rest of the season. And I think Fiss has had to make a lot of tough decisions so far this year when it comes to dealing with weather and actually getting a race off. Yeah. And I think some of the, the harshest words came from Frenchman Victor Mouffant-Jean um, just one day ago. He posted on Instagram 
kind of a, a sarcastic thank you to Fiss for another nice race preparation and a great show. I think I'm, I'm reading from his Instagram post right now. He said, quote, never, I've never seen this since my World Cup debut. It's not about the organization because Ski World Cup Dia did a hard work all week and they have lots to things to care. We all know that this is an outdoor sport and it's not always easy with the weather, but I think Fiss Alpine has enough money and we are enough professional to have a special team only in charge of the slope press preparation and who can care for it. Not just a few days before the race. Um, so Christopherson definitely wasn't alone in, in being unhappy about that. I think Alexi Pensero posted about how he unhappy he was about the, the slope conditions as well. And I think you saw guys, um, kind of resharing and reposting some of these words from, from some of these top competitors. And there were a lot of injuries um, over the in Alphabetia as well, which I think only magnifies the, the issue of slope preparation in Alphabetia. Yeah, it definitely looked like it was more than difficult to get through. And a lot of those injuries came about, you know, after the race or towards the end of the course even. It wasn't just, you know, on particular pitches that give some guys a hard time. It was the entirety of the course was a mess. So, yeah, I think that there was a large majority of of the men that thought that, that maybe that race shouldn't have happened. And, you know, hats off to Christofferson for at least saying something. I don't think when he was talking about in his press interview, his tone was not at all malicious or filled with any sense of anger he was simply just saying like you know maybe we should think harder about this next time yeah absolutely and just for people listening who aren't necessarily in the loop and haven't read the story on skiracing.com sort of the most serious injury to come out of Alphabetia was Switzerland's Marco Odermott he um, suffered a, a torn meniscus on the final gates of the course uh had surgery on monday in switzerland and uh is recovering currently swiss team is hopeful that he will be back racing before the season ends but i think there's a lot still up in the air as far as that and then uh his teammate maro Kovietzo crashed pretty hard in that parallel um we're hearing it's a bit of a shin injury that's going day to day right now he did travel to borneo decided it was too painful to ski the training run, so we unfortunately won't see him this weekend in Italy. And then Alexi Pensero was injured in the uh, in the parallel as well, but I'm hearing that he is in Bormio ready to race on Sunday in the combined. Well, we certainly wish those athletes well and a speedy recovery. You never, you never want to see injuries on the World Cup, so we hope to see those guys back as soon as possible, hopefully on uh, world-class conditions for these world-class skiers the rest of the season. So, Mac, let's talk a little bit about this parallel. It was also pretty exciting to watch. I mean, we just talked about some of the injuries, but uh, we had a first-time winner in Norway, Norway's Rasmus Windingstad. That seems like a pretty exciting race to watch. It's super exciting. I know that there's a lot of controversy about parallel as a format and its resurgence on the World Cup Tour, but I personally really enjoy watching parallel because I do like watching the man-to-man competition style that comes out and I think that parallel also opens up the field to some new guys that maybe don't get to step up on the podium as much because it takes a little bit of a different fight to come out on top in those races and the Norwegians as a team definitely put up a strong fight and put on a a good show and that was super apparent throughout the entirety of the race, just how much that team has 
supported each other and what that support means and how it pushes them to be better. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've talked about this on almost every week so far, just how impressive the Norwegians are across both genders and particularly in tech this year, which has been really exciting to see. Um, I think Widningstad, you watch him ski, he's clearly one of the most talented guys in the World Cup. He's kind of built like Christofferson. He's a little taller, a little skinnier, so he doesn't maybe have the power of a, of a Pentaro in, in GS, but he's been on the podium. He got his first podium at Kronskogora last season, and to see him break through, I think you saw how just psyched he was when uh, he crossed that line and, and beat Luiz in that final. Yeah, during... Um... During the race, um, Stephen Nyman called in to speak with the NBC announcers and give him a little bit of his perspective about who he'd think would come out on top in this parallel because he actually participated. Um, he was over in Val Gardenia, so he came over and skied some parallel but was eliminated early. And he was talking about how he thought that it would probably be a bigger guy that could put up a fight in soft conditions and really carry his weight down through and be able to push through all the crap and deterioration that was happening on the sides of those turns and when winning side came down and actually won the whole thing I was thinking to myself like that's kind of the opposite stature of the guy that Nyman thought was going to come out on top but he did say whoever was willing to put up the biggest fight and I think he really really wanted that first win and after beating out his teammate Kilda in one of the earlier rounds I think he knew he had it in him. Yeah, absolutely. And then with the Americans, we had two in the top 15, Ryan Cochran Siegel in 12th and River Radimus in 14th. I know that was a huge result for River. Yeah, it was a super big day for River Radimus. He came out and he beat one of the top guys in GS right now, Zan Kranjic of Slovenia, who was paired up against him in the round of 16. And that to me was the first big upset of the day was Radimus coming out on top. I mean, Kranjic had just placed on the podium the day prior, but as I was saying before, parallel services a different type of skier and makes some room to see different kind of athletes come out on top. And it's only a 22nd or a little bit more um, long course. And it's a bit of a different format. And they straightened out that course, I think, after the elimination rounds or the qualifiers earlier in the day because of the snow conditions. So hats off to River for getting his second set of World Cup points. Congratulations. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about Tommy Ford. I know there was some some pressure on him with the red bib going into the GS race in Altapadilla faltered a little bit I think a lot of that had to do with the conditions but also was only managed a 23rd in the parallel what do you think was uh, going on with Tommy this weekend I think Tommy is a bit like Ted Lady where he likes to turn you know he executes well when he has room not necessarily room but has the capacity to make those more aggressive turns that some guys can't pull off and as I was saying, the parallel was reset to make the course a little bit straighter. And I think for him to be able to be more competitive, his start needed to be a bit better because in multiple of his runs, he came out a little bit slow from the start and then potentially was overturning throughout that course just because that's something that he likes and that's what feels good to him. So 
I don't necessarily think it was a bad performance on his part. I just think that parallel may not be his forte currently, and he has to do a little bit of work to figure out how to be more competitive in that style of skiing. Awesome. So let's turn our attention to this coming weekend. We got the women racing in Lienz, Austria for their uh, now traditional end of the year races, tech races, slalom and GS in Austria. And I think it's pretty obvious where uh, most of the eyes will be squarely on Michaela Schifrin and whether she can rebound after her very disappointing performance in uh, in Courchevel. What do you think about uh, Michaela? Do you think she can rebound and uh, get back on the podium this weekend? Well, Michaela has been training since that since that disappointing performance. She's been putting in the work with her team, with her staff, to get as many runs in as possible, I think, to really prep for this next big block coming up for the rest of the season. And knowing what kind of athlete she is and how attentive she is to detail, any issues that she was having – in these earlier races, I think are things that have not gone unnoticed and are things or kinks that she's been trying to work out during these training sessions. And I have full faith that she has been working as hard as she possibly can to fix those things. And I'm expecting to see a strong showing from her this weekend, given the amount of time that she's spent really focusing in on what she's been doing wrong and how she can be better. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Courchevel was was more a learning experience than a than a than anything else. The more I I think about it, and the more I look back, I I have to think that it was more her equipment and her setup than anything else. It just looked like she was fighting her skis the rest of the, the entire way down. And I think as far as fixes go, that's about as easy as they come. Um, just being a little more mindful of the conditions and, and making sure your setup is totally dialed in for the on-course conditions for that day. Um, we know her mom, Eileen, is back with her for at least the next couple races. Uh, I talked to the ski team representatives in Val d'Isere, and apparently that's been the plan since the season started to have uh, her parents over for the Christmas break and they'd stay through the end. So I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, Michaela reacts with her parents back on tour. I know there is a, a lot written about Eileen taking a step back this year, but uh, yeah. I'm excited to see what happens in Lienz with with the giant slalom and slalom with Michaela. But also, I think another storyline to be mindful of is uh, Federica Brignone. I mean, as far as the women tech skiers right now, she has momentum um, with her podium in Super G in St. Moritz, her win in Courchevel. And uh, we talked about her wild Italian style and whether she can keep that rolling. I know, what are your uh, feelings about Federica, Mac? I think Fetty is on fire. And her team is too. I mean, they've all been skiing so, so well. And it feeds the fire when you have a strong support system that's not only pushing you to be better, but almost forcing you to ski faster because they've been training together. They've been working together all summer. And when you have these girls that are skiing alongside you that are just as fast or beating you in training runs, I bet that has to light some kind of fire um, to push you to be faster. And I think that Fetty has been really capable of translating that into her racing this year thus far. And I think she's the kind of competitor that takes 
that is capable of carrying that momentum and using it to her advantage throughout the rest of the season. And she knows what she's capable of. She knows what she can do. And if there's any mishaps along the way, I have no doubt that, you know, a bad race here and there isn't going to affect her. I think she's going to be one of the top women to watch in terms of the race for some globes this season. Mm-hmm. And I think one more top women's racer we should mention, Petra Volova. We talked about her dealing with a bit of a shin injury um, kind of all season long. She got a bit of a break with no racing in Val d'Isere. We're hearing that she's doing hard at work training just like Michaela, but word from her coaches is she's not skiing that great. I don't know how much we should be reading into that, whether that's kind of some maybe some gamesmanship on part of her team to lower expectations a little bit going into an important tech weekend, but uh, definitely be watching to see how Petra rebounds as well. I know she was quite upset with her performance in Courchevel missing the podium. I think that Petra... What I've noticed in terms of her finish reactions is she has a tendency to be a bit hard on herself. So I'm not sure exactly how she reacts in terms of training and um, exactly what that um, off snow training and on snow training in this break period for her has looked like. But she is one of the top competitors on the World Cup and she is definitely an entity that cannot be counted out going forward the rest of the season if she can overcome the pain that she's been experiencing then she's going to be able to fight her way towards podium finishes once again well it certainly sounds like it's going to be a great weekend of women's racing in Lienz. that does it for our discussion we're going to take a quick break and be right back with doug lewis The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right, now we'll get you back to the show. Welcome back to Tips and Tales, and on the line with me today to talk all about this weekend's men's series in Bormio, Mr. Bormio Bronze himself, Doug Lewis. Doug, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, I'm getting excited about this race. I know it's going to be a tough one again this year, so I'm excited to watch it and not ski it. (laughs) Aren't we all? Aren't we all? All right, so as 2019 draws to a close, the final stop on the men's tour of the year comes in Bormio. It's always rough. It's always one of the biggest challenges these races will face all year long. What makes Bormio so demanding? I think there's just a lot of things that come together for, uh, for it to be really maybe the most challenging race Kitzbühel's the most dangerous for sure but you know it it comes after a small but there is a christmas break where you lose that focus you eat some sweets you forget about racing so there's that mental kind of restart that you have to have 
It is dark. It's in December, so the whole thing is just tough to see. It is icy, but there is an update. I just heard from Stephen Nyman today that it is grippier than it's ever been. So there's a little bit of some smile in these racers' uh, faces because it is not as icy this year. But it's long, it's bumpy, it's tiring, and... Also, there's no area to rest. Even Kitzbühel has that road where you get to rest your legs or Wengen has some flats where you get to rest. There is no time where you can relax your legs. So that is why the racers are so tapped at the bottom and a lot of them, uh, a third of the field will almost you know, just fall in the finish because they're so spent. So all that comes together uh, to make it just one of the most exciting races. And as many of the racers say, um, look at the winners here. They're they're amazing athletes. They're heroes. There's no random winners at Bormio. So it's a, it's a really nice uh, race for these guys to do well at because it means they're the best. Absolutely. And I think you, you touched on those defining characteristics of Bormio, how dark it is, how icy it is, how unrelenting it is. And it's interesting that, that Steve said it's it's grippier than it ever has been. And I know back when you were racing, your bronze medal in, in 1985 came on one of those icy, gnarly, challenging days. What about that part of Italy makes the snow such a challenge to ski on? Um, I think it's a little bit lower. Uh, and so there's always some melt going on. So there's just more moisture in it. And then you, uh, when I raced it, it was in February, which I had more light. Uh, you know, I'm not going to discount my metal, but I had a little easier. It was a little bit lighter. The snow was a little bit drier. But in December, with the, the high moisture, the darkness and how cold it is usually, it just makes for a really, really tough surface. I'm not saying it's easy. I don't think Nyman says it's easy. But he says, quote, it's more enjoyable and actually controllable this year so uh maybe we'll see some better skiing that's great that's great so when we we talk about Bormio we talk about kind of you said there are no random winners it's always these incredible athletes the favorites kind of always seem to rise to the top in Bormio is that because it is such a big challenge or or will we ever see a perfect storm of comet of of uh, conditions where we'll see I don't know, maybe someone like Brody Seeger, who's had some amazing attack from the back performances pop in on the podium. Um, I, I just don't think it'll, it'll happen just because um, it is so tough. You're, you're, you take, because there's no flats, you're taking that um, this manufacturer skis out of it. So no one's going to have a f blistering pair of skis that's somehow going to just pop them in. You're, you're not going to have this, the flats speed up because of, of uh, weather or anything. There's, no, there's nothing easy about it. So there's no way to magically sneak something past anything. It, you have to go at it and you have to be the best in the world. Yeah. So you are actually headed to NBC's studios to call the races for the television broadcast this weekend. What do you look for most when these racers take for the, to the track when you're calling the race? What makes a winning run in Bormio? Well, you don't have to be perfectly online. So I, you don't have to have a spot where, oh, he's, he's three feet off the line. He's six feet off the line because there's room in this course to let your skis run if you can control them. So I'm not looking for a precise line. I'm looking for a, a racer that is attacking because if you have any kind of um, 
holding back or any kind of hesitation, the course will, will hit you and it'll chatter your skis and you'll lose time. So you have to attack uh, and let those skis run kind of as much as they can. Let it out to that blue line. Uh, know, have confidence in your line that you know where you can, you know, if you're not online, you can let it run. And then you have to look at <laughs> from the uh, Borromeo, halfway down, there's the San Pietro jump. From there down, your legs are done. So I'm looking at how low they are. Uh, can they get that quad to actually contract or are they spent? Are they looking for aerodynamics at the end? So it's more of a body position. So it's attacking style and do they have the fitness and the guts to, to keep low and keep attacking when their body is just done? So with Valgardena being canceled last week, unfortunately, due to weather, Bormio does pick up another downhill race. So there's three days of racing this year, two downhills and an Alpine combined with a Super G. And I think that adds another layer of, of almost tactics and, and athlete management on how these racers will be able to, to manage their energy levels on such a demanding course. How do you think that is going to factor into uh, how these racers approach race day? Well, I think just looking at the training times from today's one and only training run, you see a lot of the athletes uh, focusing on one section. So a couple sections are very fast. And then um, for uh, Bryce Roger and for uh, Dominic Paris and Kilday, who were fast today, they were letting it, they let the uh, their foot off the gas pedal at the end. So they, they really use tactics and what part of the course are they gonna attack during training? Because with training, two downhills in that Super G, that's a lot of runs down the hardest, maybe toughest course on the planet. So really trying to figure out how to conserve their energy, when to push it, and um, I bet they're not doing a whole lot of free skiing. It is a, a one free ski run, a, a, an inspection and then save as much energy as you can for that those races mm -hmm. and how does a racer approach a super g in bormio i know it's it's a little different with an alpine combined day of a shorter or it's a longer day in general but a shorter speed run do you approach a super g in bormio a little different than a downhill um i i don't think so i think uh, because it'll be a, sh a shorter race they'll they'll move the start way down you have to attack you're gonna be spent you are you are just gonna be in that starting gate and your legs are already tapped they're already gonna be hurting and you just have to have willpower so i think that super g is gonna be even more mental can you grit it through the the pain in your legs to get down there and then just think about the slalom run afterwards mm -hmm. so let's move on and talk about some of the racers to look for this weekend i think obviously the man with the most spotlight on him this week is going to be dominic paris he's been mr bormio in the last uh, handful of years since Bormio came back onto the tour is there anyone else we should uh, have an eye on to maybe sneak a win away from uh, mr bormio himself yeah, um, I think everybody's going to be chasing Paris, as you said. I, I don't, even with a, a broken hand, I think Foyt showed in training today, he was seventh, that he still has it. I don't think the hand will uh, affect him that much. He knows Bormio. Um, 
again, you look at the guy and he looks like a donut, right? He's just a little plump. You don't think he has the fitness. He does have the fitness and he will be one to watch for sure. He's been third, he's been fourth. He knows this course. But I really think you gotta watch out for Kilday. Even though he's only been ninth and 10th in the past, he's built like Paris. He skis like Paris, but even more technical. So if he can be a little cleaner and still ride that muscle and mass like Paris does, I think Kilda will be on the podium. And then I think you have a couple Austrians. Kriegmeier, again, built like Paris, skis a little cleaner. He could pump in there. And then you have Meyer. Meyer's the opposite. He's my height, right? He's small. He's feisty. He's grittier. Uh, and he's had a fifth, sixth, and a seventh. So he is right there. And he looked good in training. At least his times did. So I think you got a couple Austrians. I think you got Kilday. But it's going to be Foyts in Paris. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Kriegmeier in particular takes that momentum of that win in uh, Val Gardena in the Super G, which is also another pretty demanding track, as we talked about last week, and takes it into Bormio. Yeah, I, I love to see him. You know, he's he was um, fifth last year. I, I just don't know why he hasn't done better. But, you know, the first couple of years, he's only run it twice. So Kriegmeier is new to this course. <laughs> Having run it only twice, you don't get you always get about one training run. So he's learning every time. But I think he's ready to challenge Paris for those reasons that you said. Mm -hmm. And let's talk a little bit about the Americans. We had Bryce Bennett really have a, a career race here last year on a Man, last year was, I think we all saw those uh, videos on Instagram of the course workers just helplessly sliding down the course. And, and Bryce has talked about how much of a mental challenge that, that race day was. But talking about the Americans as a whole, I think Bormio, we talked about your bronze medal, obviously the success that Bodie and Darren had there. Um, but the Americans, apart from last year's result from Bryce Bennett, didn't have much success. What, what do the Americans need to do to have a strong team result? Well, number one, they have to f have a good plan focusing through this holiday period. I think they've got it down now. They go, they spend the time, do a little rodling, which is sledding down the hill. They have a little Christmas. They, they do a little bit of ceremony, but it's really tough to be an American stuck in Europe over Christmas. So I think they've got that down. Hopefully they've uh, been able to focus through the holiday season. Number two, they got to just get through their demons. Ganong has some demons here. Nyman has some demons, Bennett. Um, so I just think it's all mental for them. So hopefully they've handled their schedule. And then for each of them, particularly focus on the one thing that they need to do to be fast here. And what about a guy like, we talked about Ryan Cochran-Siegel a bit last week about how Valgardena could be a hill he could perform well on. What do you think about Bormio? Is it cut from the same cloth as a, as a Beaver Creek in a Valgardena, or is it another challenge that he'll have to overcome? I, I think he's made for Bormio a little bit better than the other two. I think he's so strong. Uh, he has that mellow attack uh, where he doesn't waste a lot of energy in his, his aggressiveness, but he, he can sure attack the course. I think he's made for this hill, but it's just getting time to learn the culture of Bormio. You know, how, how are the turns? What is the timing? When to push it? Where not to push it? Uh, and then save a little. So it's just interesting to me. He's got to pull something out of a hat, but he has all the tools. I think he's made for Bormio. Mm -hmm. And with Bormio ending 2019, and as we move into 2020, after Bormio, there's a bit of a break on, on the speed circuit. We've got Zagreb and Adelboden on the men's side, and then we head to Vengen. How important is a strong result in Bormio to 
carry your own momentum into the new year, into 2020 and the rest of the World Cup season? I think it's super important and, and for everyone has their own reasons. You know, we talked about Ganong. Uh, he's crashed here the last two years, but he's, he was the fastest in training for the Americans. He's had the best results so far this year. So Ganong has a chance to really say, I'm back and this course will not get to me. Nyman, I think, has a chance to um, really get back on form. He just has a little uh, timing. Sh- he, you know, when I talked to him today, he's like, "It's just timing. I just got to figure out when to start and and end the turns." Uh, but he's there. Bennett's really interesting. I think it's the sophomore slump. It's really easy to get to the top because you're just aggressive and you're the underdog. But you know, after last year, he is on top now. So it's hard to keep the momentum. Uh, a lot of energy and focus was nailed on him. How did he handle it? And, but knowing him, he'll have a plan. He'll really step back and say, listen, maybe I need to refocus uh, a little bit on skiing and not all the other stuff. And hopefully he can return here at Bormio and get back on track. Wonderful. Well, I know we talked a little bit about the Alpine combined earlier in our conversation, but what else should we be looking for on Sunday? Uh, I think it's just interesting about the super combined because it's usually, hey, it's Pentaro and the rest of the field. But with Pentaro hurting his leg at Alta Badia, who knows if he'll be back, if he can attack a course like Super G. So Pintero, I think, is off the podium. Kavietzel, another uh, podium uh, wannabe or hopeful, uh, is also hurt. He's out. So it's really open. So it's Mufa Jande. It's Kriegmeier if he can turn the slalom skis. It's Trikachev. It'll be really interesting in the Super Gavine because uh, I, I have no clue what's going to happen. Could be Dominic Paris as well. Yeah. Could be part. Man for can sure. ski slalom somehow, <laughs> some way, somehow. On some s- tiny skis for that guy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Doug. Always great to talk to you. Good luck calling the races this weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon, hopefully. You got it. All right, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.